This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. This morning we're going to talk about repentance. I think this is an important subject for us to consider. Second uh, Peter 3 verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count sl- slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, one of the, the, the central themes of the scriptures is forgiveness and the, the plan of redemption uh, that God has, has instituted. And this verse and really this chapter gives somewhat of a snapshot of the, the entire story of the scriptures. You know, God could have immediately destroyed the world when sin and death entered in and just completely done away with, with mankind. Yet we find through the story of the scriptures that he was long-suffering as he worked his plan to bring about redemption and to rescue humanity. He delayed destruction so that we could have the opportunity to come to repentance. And so this is something that's very important to God. In fact, Mark, uh, in fact, Paul rather says in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, he says, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. It's so important to God now, today, if we want to be followers of God, we must have repentance in our lives. It's something that He commands of all people and something that He has in his long suffering has waited to, to uh, impart upon us and, and call us into this re- repentance. So I think some questions naturally arise when we think about this. You know, it took me a long time to really uh, understand, even after I'd become a Christian, several years, to know and really uh, grasp what repentance is. So I think that's the first question we ask. What is repentance? The second question that may come to mind as we live our lives and we find ourselves perhaps stuck in sin or or, or not really knowing what to do moving forward through a problem is, how do I repent? What does that process look like? Is it simply a feeling that we feel, or is there something to it? Is there, is there actions we can take? Are there steps we can take? And the third question that we, we should ask as we think about repentance and the importance of repentance is what keeps us from repentance? Because there are things that come up in our lives that keep us and, and, and stop us from repenting and, and, and carrying out uh, proper repentance in our lives. So I want to look at those things and examine those three things this morning. So we we'll begin. What is repentance? Uh, the best picture we can have of repentance is directly from God Himself. In, in Ezekiel chapter uh, 14, and really uh, several places in the book of Ezekiel, God pleads with His children and, and, and commands His children to turn away at, from their idols because they were so swept up in idolatry and, and serving uh, false gods. But He says, For example, here in Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 6, he says, Therefore, say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, Repent and turn yourselves from your idols, and turn away your faces from all your abominations. When you look at the the Hebrew definitions and the Greek definitions of repentance, this is what we find essentially. This is is an exact picture of, of what it means to repent. You are turning away from something. You are changing your course. You are changing your mind from something. And when we turn from one thing, it's natural that we are turning to something else. And so repentance, when we're talking about biblically, is to turn away from sin and turn now to righteousness. Ezekiel chapter 18, God explains even more about repentance and and, and what repentance means. He says again, when the wicked man turneth away from his wickedness that he hath committed, and doeth that which is lawful and right, he shall save his soul alive. Because he considereth and turneth away 
from all his transgressions that he hath committed. He shall surely live and not die. Yet saith the house of Israel, The way of the Lord is not equal. O house of Israel, are not my ways equal? Are not your ways unequal? See, the Israelites were, were accusing God of being unfair and his ways being unequal as, as he dealt with people who repented from their wickedness. And he says, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? Here God explains that a person can live if they consider and turn away from sin. So when you look at the, the biblical definition of sin and the examples that God has given, it is a change of heart. You have changed your mind from following sin, and you renew your heart and spirit in order to work righteousness. So it's a change of heart that leads to a change of action. Because when your mind is stuck in sin, you're serving sin and you're serving death, you're serving those pleasures, and that's what it's going to bring about is destruction and death for your life. But if we want to live, we turn away from those things and now turn our faces to God and turn our hearts to God with, with the renewed heart and spirit, he says. And we come to him and we work now righteousness. So it's a change of heart that leads to a change of action. That is the biblical definition of what repentance is. So... As we think about that, how, how can we repent? Does the scripture teach us and show us uh, anything about this process? Well, sometimes people might think of, of repentance when we think about how to repent uh, as simply feeling bad. We feel really guilty. We, we might commit a sin. We might commit transgression in our lives. And we simply feel overwhelmed with emotion that, that, and guilt for committing that sin. But... but Repentance is not just feeling bad for what you've done. That's, that's not enough. You should have remorse. You should feel the sting of guilt and shame. But simply feeling bad does not equal repentance. Paul explained to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 11, he says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. There is a difference between... Uh, uh, or there is a difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. The worldly sorrow is just going to lead to destruction and lead to death. You know, sometimes you think of, of uh, for example, in the scriptures, Judas. He felt so guilty for betraying Christ that he went out and hung himself. He committed suicide. And, and that is the sorrow of the world, and that's what it will lead us to. But if we have godly sorrow, it's going to lead us to repentance. And so sorrow itself is not enough, but it should lead us to something. And if it's godly sorrow, it, it says it will work, self, work repentance rather in our lives. And so that's where it begins, this process. We're going to feel godly sorrow in our lives, but we can't stop there. You have to keep going and, and deal with the sin that's in your life. And so the next thing, naturally, is to acknowledge the sins that are in your life. You know, we look at examples in the scriptures like King David. He committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he, he tried to cover up his sins by having her husband killed, he sends him out to a hopeless battle and, and kills him. Uh, and so he, he not only commits adultery with this woman, he murders her husband. And he just tries to go on about his life as if nothing happened until God confronts him. Nathan the prophet comes to him and says, Thou art the man. And he feels the guilt and the shame of, of what he's done. He's tried to cover it up. You know, I think he explains a little bit as we read in Psalm chapter 32. 
He said, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through, through, roaring all, uh, through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou hast forgiven, or thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Simply feeling bad isn't going to do anything. And, you know, sometimes, like King David, we might try to just go on. We might try to just move on from that and hide it and say, you know, it's not really a problem. I, I did this this one time. I'm not really dealing with the issue, though. And you just kind of fool yourself into thinking that you can move on and, and just go on about your normal life. But just like David, the, the longer we keep silence, the more we're going to feel the hand upon us of God, he says. Uh, he says, for day and night thy hand was heavy upon me, and it eats on our conscience, and it eats on our conscience, and our bones wax old, he says, for, for, our, for this groaning of our spirit. And you feel it in, your, in, in yourself. You know that there is a problem. And, and until you deal with it and acknowledge the sin in your life, it's not, nothing is going to change. So have godly sorrow, but let that motivate you to acknowledge the sin in your life and to begin to deal with that sin so that you can experience the forgiveness of, of God. Uh, because you, you, there's a sense of relief as you're reading here in Psalm chapter 32. You know, David says, it's such a blessing when, for, to those who have forgiveness. And when I didn't come to God and ask for forgiveness, when I tried to hide my sins and not acknowledge them, it just got worse. But when I did, then there was forgiveness of sin. So there's, there's sort of this pressure buildup and this release as you read these words. And you can feel that in, in David's writings here as he considers this great blessing of acknowledging the sin. So have godly sorrow, acknowledge your sin. And as we said, from the biblical definition is to turn away from one thing, sin, and now turn to righteousness. Then the thing we must do is now have a change of actions. If we had the change of heart, we're not going to commit sin anymore. It made us feel bad, and we acknowledge our sin, and we, we acknowledge to God that we're going to do something different now, then we must do something different. And that something different is to produce righteousness. Now produce righteous actions, and to change our habits, and to change our ways. Acts chapter 26, verse 20, Paul said this, as he, as he talked about the message of the gospel. You know, he said that all men... God commands all men everywhere. Every person is now commanded to repent. And as Paul went about and spread this message of the gospel, he says, He showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. You see, this, really this verse captures the essence of repentance and what it means to repent. He says that, that we should repent and turn to God. So we turn away from our sins and turn to God, that's a change of heart, and now do works that are meet for repentance. There's your change of action. Uh, do actions and have actions and conduct that shows that you have repented in your life. Our sorrow should lead to that change of actions. So not just feeling sorry. You can't just feel sorry and then stop there. You have to, to, to have motivation to change your actions. Um, you know, if we just felt sorry but never really changed, if every time we committed sin, oh, you know, I feel bad, but then you just keep committing that sin and keep doing it, and you have no, no change in your, your course of action, can we look at our lives and say that we have truly repented? 
And I, I don't think we can if, if we look at our lives and, and see that we've never really made any effort to change the habits that, that were there before or the conduct that was there before. So we need to turn to God and do works that are meet for repentance. Now I want to show you two examples of, of this laid out for us in the Scriptures. The first is in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, what we see here is, is repentance in action. On the day of Pentecost, Peter was preaching a convicting sermon to the Jews. You know, there was over 3,000 Jews gathered there. There, was, there. there must have been hundreds of thousands of Jews gathered there. It was a, it was a great occasion there on Pentecost. They had gathered from all uh, nations under heaven, it says there in Acts chapter 2. And the Holy Spirit came upon the, the apostles. This was the beginning of, of the New Testament church. This was the beginning of the gospel message being preached. And the Jews uh, had first go of it as Peter went to preach the gospel to them. And these were Jews among the crowd that were guilty of rejecting Christ, rejecting Him, and having Him crucified. They said, He's not our King, but Caesar is our King. So they were guilty. They had a lot of guilt on their hands. And, and, and they, were, they, uh, they were responsible for Christ's death, so they had Christ's blood on His hands, and they knew it. And so on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches this convicting sermon against them and their role in Christ's death. And up to this point, they fought against the teachings of Christ. They, they uh, persecuted His disciples. The church, uh, or the disciples rather, were, were persecuted, and they scattered away, and, and Jesus had been crucified. Um, and now they hear Peter, by the Holy Spirit, telling them, as he preaches this beautiful sermon about Christ's resurrection, he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made this same Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, and now they know their sin. They've been reproved of their sin. The man they killed wasn't just some normal man. He was both Lord and Christ. And then we see what takes place after this. They, they feel something in their hearts. In verse 37 it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. They felt the guilt and the shame of their sin that they had committed in their lives. And they realized that, that, that they were guilty and Christ's blood was on their hands. And it produced the appropriate response, as we see they ask in verse, there at the end of verse 37. They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? So it's obvious they're having a change of heart. They were pricked in their heart by this message, and now they ask, what should we do about it now? And then Peter says, repent and be baptized. He gives them instructions of, of what they should do now, what course of action they should take. And verse 41 says, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Uh, Peter instructs them, repent and be baptized. The godly sorrow they felt, they felt pricked in their hearts, led them to a change of action. It led them to obey the words of, of Peter here as from the Holy Spirit, to repent and be baptized and to receive forgiveness of their sins. Their sins could be washed away. The very fact that they killed Christ on the cross, that guilt could be washed away if they would submit themselves to God repent and obey His commandments. And they did. These, these people did. They gladly received that word and that instruction, but it doesn't end there. How do we know that these people had a real change in their lives? How do we know that they repented of rejecting Christ's teachings and, and uh, now they're going to be followers of His teachings? Well, verse 42 gives us a clear picture. It says, "...and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers." These people had a complete change in their lives. And so not only did they feel conviction, 
And they didn't just stop there. They said, man, I feel really bad about killing Christ and, and having that guilt in my life. And then they didn't do anything about it. They asked, what should we do? Peter tells them, repent and be baptized. And now they become followers of that way. And we know that they continued in repentance because they continued steadfast, changing their life, doing the things that the apostles were instructing them to do, continuing in fellowship, continuing in breaking of bread, continuing in prayers. So this was a long-lasting change that was in their life. You know, you think about what Jesus said about a good tree and an evil tree. He says a corrupt tree, an evil tree, will bring forth evil fruit. And that's what they had done previously. Their hearts were corrupt, and so they were bringing forth corrupt fruit. But now it was changed. They were now they washed away. They were cleansed. They were renewed. They were new trees, and now they're producing righteousness, as we see here. And that's exactly how we ought to live our lives as Christians, showing that we have turned away from our transgressions, we have turned away from our sins, and now, taking on a new heart and spirit, are doing and, and taking action and producing righteousness, doing what is lawful and right. And that's the picture that people should see in our lives and that God should see in our lives and that we should see in our own lives if we have repentance in our lives. The other example is in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, let's, let's read Ephesians chapter 4, 21 through 32. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, that means conduct and your way of life, put off the former way of life, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, put away, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Notice the contrasting, no, notice the contrasting ideas and actions that Paul uh, places side by side here, as he says. He instructs the Ephesians, you have, if you're in Christ, you have been renewed in righteousness and true holiness. You have put on a new way of life. And if that's the case, we need to continue shaping ourselves, not after the former ways, after the old man, but towards the new way, after the image of Christ, and put on the conduct that God wants us to put on. And so he contrasts these, these uh, five different things. He says, if, if you have a problem with lying, he says, don't do that anymore. Have a change of action. Speak the truth. Don't lie any longer, but now speak the truth. Be a person that speaks the truth. If you have anger in your life uh, and, and wrath, he says, get over it soon. Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Get over it soon. Let go of that anger and don't just hang on to that. Let it go. If you have a problem with stealing, if you're a person that steals things, he says, don't do that. Instead, work and give. Produce income and then give away that income. Give away those things instead of looking to steal and see what you can get. Look to see what you can give, he says. 
If you have bad language and use foul language, he says, don't do that anymore. Instead, use good language. Use good words that, and communicate uh, good speech that edifies those who, who hear you. And he says, if you have bitterness and wrath, and he names all these other things related to that, he says, don't do that. Instead, be a kind person. Be a person that is forgiving. And so we see a contrast in the scriptures of how this process of, of repentance, when we look at the process of repentance, what it, what it kind of looks like. It's, it, you're, it is a turn away from one action to another action. We're turning away from sin, lying, anger, stealing, bad language, bitterness, and we're turning to righteousness and now starting to produce righteous actions. Speaking the truth, getting over our anger, laboring and giving, speaking good and edifying, being a kind person and forgiving. Uh, and so these are, these are practical ways when we look at this contrast of how to put off the former and to put on the new man. Now, it's a difficult challenge to go on in our lives changing and, and uh, producing righteousness and continuing on in repentance. If we've, if we've turned away from sin and now we've turned to righteousness. Uh, and I think, I think we wonder and maybe get scared sometimes about the mistakes that we make and, and that come our way. If, if we make a mistake and we fail, does that mean we've automatically been disqualified from God's grace? I don't think that the scriptures show us that, that concept. It does show us that we can fall from God's grace. It does show us that we can turn away from God and that we can give up. But there is a difference between making a mistake and you continue on trying to serve God and, and pursue holiness, and you're trying to, to repent of that and work, work that out and deal with that sin, and, and you continue to walk in Christ. There's a difference between that and just totally giving up and turning away and turning back into sin and just, and just, just carelessly indulging in, in the ways of sin with no thought of, of, of Christ or thought of, of the commitment that you made. There's a difference between those two. Paul, when he was talking to the, to the Romans and the Jews of Rome, he was telling them in, in Romans chapter 2, he, he begins the chapter by explaining the sin of the Gentiles and how they turned away to, from God and they were serving idols. And he, then he convicts the Jews and says, you're guilty of the same things. We're all guilty of turning away from God and following our own ways. And he says that the goodness of God leads us to repentance in Romans chapter 2 verse 4. And as he continues, he, he lays a contrast between those who have just are living in sin with a hard heart, serving themselves, and those who aren't. And I want to notice what he says about those who, who aren't. He says, To them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. That's what, that's what we will receive. We're, we're, we're working towards receiving that reward of eternal life. But we have to have patient continuance. You just keep going. You just keep working. Keep doing what is right. You get up and you, and you keep going with patient continuance. You don't just give up. And so if you want to know if you've truly repented, I guess you have to ask yourself, have you, have you just totally given up? Or are you still working and, and walking in Christ? So this is the process of repentance. You, you have godly sorrow, you acknowledge your sin, and now you do something about it and start producing... Uh, godly actions. Start, start doing works that are meet for repentance that show that your life has changed. And then the last question that we ask, what keeps us from repenting? What are some things that hold us back from actually changing our lives or repenting of our sins? 
and dealing with, with the problem? I think the first thing is pride. Pride, pride is very dangerous in our lives, and I think that's probably the greatest obstacle that somebody might have to repentance. Pride fools us. It tricks us into thinking we're safe. It, it tricks us into thinking we're strong. It, it makes our hard heart uh, very hard, rather. It makes our hearts very hard. And, and the Word of God cannot enter in if, if we are so filled with pride. And, you know, we get comfortable. In our pride, we get comfortable with our lifestyle, the things that we're doing. We get comfortable with our actions, and we're not willing to listen to somebody, and especially God. We're not willing to listen if, if we're told that that conduct is wrong. And we get upset about that, and we get angry about that. You know, the children of Israel are a prime example of this. They became comfortable with serving idols. They became comfortable with, with following after the nations that were round about them and serving the gods of, of those nations. And that's how they lived. But then God rebukes them for that and tells them, you must repent of this. But, but we see the hardness of their hearts in Second Kings chapter 17. Beginning in verse 13, it says, Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets and by all the seers, saying, Turn ye from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes, according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent, uh, which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Notwithstanding, they would not hear, but hardened their necks. Like unto the neck of their fathers, they did not believe in the Lord their God. That phrasing, harden, harden their necks, that means they, they just made, they were stiff-necked. That means they were not going to hear. They, it's like they, like they bowed themselves up and, and lifted their heads up and weren't going to listen to God and, and turn their ears away from Him. They would not hear Him. He says they rejected His statutes and His covenant that He made with their fathers and the testimonies that He testified against them, and they followed vanity and became vain and went after the heathen that were round about them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not be like them and not do like them. It's hard to admit when we're wrong. And, and, and imagine being these people, then God comes to you and says, what you're doing is a sin. And when we read the scriptures, it convicts us, it exposes us. It's like a light, a spotlight that shines upon us and exposes who we really are, and it shows the sin in our lives and in our hearts. But we have to be humble and not reject the Word of God, but instead receive the Word of God because God wants us to experience life. He wants us to turn away from death and experience life. James chapter 1, 21 says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted Word, which is able to save your souls. God's not calling us out of our sins because... Uh, because he wants to inflict some kind of wrath and punishment upon us. He convicts us and reproves us of our sin because he wants to save us. He wants to pull us out of those actions and to change our lives and to change our hearts. He wants to save us. And so we have to, with that heart and mind, receive the word of God with, with meekness and know that it is able to save our souls. So hardness of heart is, a, is, is the first obstacle, I think, and what keeps many people from repenting not letting the Word of God into their hearts at all, but just rejecting Him. The second thing is emotion, uh, but no real change. You might, have, you might feel so bad, you might feel really guilty about the sin, 
And every time it happens, you might weep with bitterness, but then you don't really change anything in your life. And I think that's, that's a problem. There's no real change of your conduct. Uh, and, and that is an issue that, that arises in our lives that keeps us from repentance. You know, when we think about an example of this, Simon the sorcerer, I think is a prime example of this. You know, he lived in Samaria and, and around the time uh, there in the first century, uh, around the time the apostles began to preach the, the gospel. We read in Acts chapter 2, they began to preach the gospel, and then it wasn't long after that that they went about spreading the message of, of the gospel around to the regions round about there in Jerusalem. And they arrive at this place called Samaria, and they encounter a man named Simon. And he is a sorcerer. He has bewitched the people. He has lied to them and influenced them somehow to believe that he was some great power of God. And no doubt he was making money off of these people. I mean, I'm sure he, he, was, he was very well-revered among the people, and he had bewitched them. And Philip, the evangelist, comes along and preaches the gospel to, to Samaria, and Simon is a man who hears the message of Christ, and he's converted. And he changes his life, and now he becomes a follower of Christ. But a problem arises. He apparently still wanted to be prominent among the people. Maybe he wanted to continue profiting off of them. And so he sees the apostles that come down, Peter and John, and they lay their hands upon the people and they impart uh, abilities from the Holy Spirit onto these people. And Simon sees that, and he finds that very interesting. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 18 through 24, it says, And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. He tried to offer money and buy his way into the office of an apostle. And Peter rebukes him very sharply for this. And he says, your money perish with you. He says, your heart is not right in the sight of God. I perceive that you're in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity, and that you should repent from this, this your wickedness. It sounds like he's, he's in wickedness now, and he's done something very evil and very... His intentions were evil in the sight of God. Now, as we read the rest of the story in Acts chapter 8, it does seem as, as if Simon begins to make a change, and he says, pray for me that these things don't happen. So he, he, has a, uh, some, he has at least the beginnings of repentance there. He acknowledges what he's done is wrong. He, he prays and asks Peter. He begs him to pray for him. And, and hopefully he begins to make a, a, a real change in his life. But when we think about this example... I think we, we can think about it in our own lives or in the lives of other people that we see around us. Many people don't make the real change. When their sins are acknowledged before them, people really don't do something about it. Yeah, you might have began to follow Christ. You might be a Christian, but when somebody uh, it convicts you of your sin or the Word of God exposes our sins, sometimes people just feel bad and then they don't do anything about it. They feel guilty. They feel shame. But then there's no real change of heart. And perhaps, like Simon, people are stuck in what's familiar. You see, he went back to what he knew. I'll, I'll pay you this money and give me this power too. 1 Peter 4, verse 3 says, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Peter here describes the conduct of the Gentiles, and he says, you know... In the, in, in the past time of our lives, it may have sufficed us to work these types of actions. 
drinking and partying, reveling and banqueting, he says there, abominable idolatries, lasciviousness, lust, sins of a sexual nature, just totally giving in to whatever we wanted to do. He says that may have been good enough for us when we lived that way, but it's, it's no longer good for us. If we, have, if we have made a commitment to put off the old man, we cannot stay stuck in what is familiar to us. We have to move forward and change and, and say no to the sins of our past life. You know, it's awkward sometimes to make a new decision and to do something new and to do something different. It feels unfamiliar. And it's difficult to change our ways. It's, it's difficult to say no to our friends. It's difficult to say no to our family, that maybe they invite us over to party with them. Or maybe it's any other type of sin that people try to invite us and, and get us roped into. But we have to cast off those works and make our lives reflect the holiness of God. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, uh, 14, he says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourself according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all conversation, in all manner of conversation. So it's difficult and it's awkward, but we must do this. If we want to be followers of Christ, if we want to have true repentance in our life, we cannot stay stuck in what's familiar and just have an emotional experience every time we feel guilty of sin. We actually have to do something about it and change uh, those habits. Don't, don't go right back into the same sins that we experienced. But start changing your life and, and walking towards holiness uh, and be holy as God is, as, is holy and has called us to be uh, as well. So emotion but no real change is something that keeps people back. And then the last thing is, is not getting spiritual nourishment. That's something that keeps us from repenting, is not knowing what to repent of. Living in sin, when we, when we live in sin, it really takes a toll on our mind. And it destroys our mind. It destroys the way we think about what is right and what is wrong. And, and it really gives us a skewed view of, of morality and, righteous, and, and what is righteous and what is unrighteous. And you know, when you become a Christian, you become a new creature, but your mind doesn't instantly just totally get swept away from all the things that you knew and the sins that you knew and what was familiar to you. It starts to. That's the beginning of the process. Yes, you've repented from your sin and you've turned to God and now you're a new creature, but that's just the beginning of the process. Paul wrote this to the Romans. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul encourages Christians to have your mind transformed. And that's what we must do as we begin our walk with God. Have our mind transformed by the Word of God. Let that fill up our minds and let us gain the knowledge of the Word, pulling out the knowledge of evil and sin, and now cleansing our conscience and renewing our conscience, having it reshaped to be more like Christ by doing what is good and, and acceptable and perfect in the will of God. Now, some people struggle with repentance because they're not getting nourished from the Word of God, because they wait so long to actually start changing their life and changing their mind, and, and they delay the process of renewing their mind with God's standards. And, and then we just continue following our broken standards, what we think is right and wrong, and we convince ourselves that, that what we're doing is, is just fine. This is normal. Everybody does this. Or we convince ourselves that, you know, it's really not that bad. And so we just keep on living the same way. 
because we're not getting the new knowledge that we need to change our standards. We're just staying stuck in our own way of thinking because we're not getting nourishment from the scriptures. You know, I wonder if that's what happened to these people that Titus describes in Titus 1, 15 through 16. He says, unto the pure, all things are pure, but unto, unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and their conscience is defiled. Their mind and their conscience never changed the way it's supposed to change as, as we walk in Christ and we pursue holiness. He says, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. This is a description of the kind of, of thing we're talking about here. There are many people that profess that they know God. They profess that they're followers of God. Yet, in their actions, their actions don't say that they know God. Their actions don't show that they've repented and had a change of life. And the reason they don't is because their conscience is defiled and their mind is defiled. And so I, ho I hope that you can see what I'm, I'm getting at here with this, with this verse and these verses in this section here about transforming our mind. If we delay that process and we don't start doing that and changing our life to conform to God's standards, then we're never going to do anything and we're going to be like the people that are described here. Professing that we know God, saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah, I follow God, yeah, I love, I love God. And then our conduct never changes and so we're not, in, in our works we deny Him, He says, and, and then we'll be abominable and disobedient and reprobate to every good work. And if this is the case in our lives, we have to change our thinking to fit not what we think is right and wrong, but what God says is right and wrong. Open yourselves and your heart to God's instruction, and it will start to really change who you are. It will really change your heart and your mind. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. That word converting is the same Hebrew word that's used when we read in Ezekiel. God said, repent and turn yourself away from your idols. That word converting is that same word because it is changing your soul. It is changing the course of your life. It is changing who you are. The law of the Lord is capable of doing that and it, and it makes the wise simple. Open yourself up to God's instruction and, and allow it to change you. Allow it to change your life. When we think about repentance and what God desires for us, He commands this because He has a great care. Because when we serve sin, we're serving death and we're going to die. And we will experience spiritual death, but God doesn't want that for us. Ezekiel 18, verse 23, it says, Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord, and not that he should return from his ways and live? That's the question that God puts to the, to, to the children of Israel. And think about that. Is God happy that the wicked should remain in their wickedness and die? No. He is more pleased, and there is joy in heaven we read in, in, in the scriptures, when one sinner repents of their ways, and, and God is very pleased and very joyful when somebody, instead of dying, repents and returns from their ways and now pursue life. That's what God wants from us, and that's why this is so important for us to understand and to grasp, repentance in our lives. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.